Have you ever had something asked of you that felt like an insult, a misunderstanding of who you are and what matters most to you? Welcome to The Good Word. I'm Jody Washburn, host and study guide author for this 13-week series on the Book of Psalms. Joining me in conversation are Tiago Aheis and Matilda Fry, both professors in the School of Theology. What do you think? What does it feel like to have something asked of you that goes against your sense of who you are and what matters most to you? Well, sometimes your pride is, my pride is <laughs> hurt <laughs> when you must have something like that. So that's not a good example <laughs> what I'm saying right now, right? <laughs> but what uh, what is the topic here is on something that really deeply matters. And when that is um, kind of like made into a joke, mm-hmm. you know, I made fun of. That is painful. That yeah. hurts. And that is that. That is the. I mean, the title of the lesson is drawing out of probably the most vivid. Some would say the most troubling psalm of lament in the entire collection, Psalm one thirty seven. And you know, it's the captors that are saying. I think the feeling is with mockery, Matilda, mm-hmm. like you're saying, sing for us one of the songs of Zion, and this creates this sense of terrible anguish. And you know the. Um Religion is something extremely um, personal Yes. when it is not about, you know, the religious life of an institution, but when it is your, your experience and when that is uh, mocked. And I remember that as a, as a young uh, person back when uh, I went to school in Romania and that kind of mockery was one of the most the things that I still feel deeply about until today that I remember that that feeling of okay I know at this point the teacher or the student next to me their intention was to shame me and that that is hard to deal with or forget it will always stay yeah, I mean, we're talking about religion, spirituality, the Psalms. I mean, these things are very close to the hidden life of our heart. It's it's a space that is intimate, that is private, that is, yes, we do get to share that with people who are like-minded, who the communal aspect of what we do. I think Matilda's right. There's there's an intimacy. There's, a, there's an interiority of it all that is very tied to who we are as people, as humans. And, and I think the distortion of that the bringing out of that and the exposition of that without your volition, without your agency is already a traumatic thing. And the mockery of that can be a traumatic thing. And I've experienced that in different ways in my life um, within and outside of religious settings because it's not just outsiders coming in and mocking you for whatever religion, but from within. Um, People forcing you to express or to say or to be in a particular way um, that sort of distorts that which pertains to the hidden life of the heart, of, of, of a space where only a few have access to and who God has access to. So I think that pain, that anguish and the trauma that Matilda sort of, uh, the trauma language that Matilda, she's carrying things to till today. It, it's something I think very real also to the experience of exile and to Israel in, in this specific context. And and we get to read sort of, of what came out of that. And, and I think creating space for that so that we can connect to that with that in a way is a special thing. Mm-hmm. There's also something so vulnerable about being asked to perform. I'm going to use the word perform. Yeah. Be that reciting or speaking aloud in the presence of other people or singing. 
to be asked to perform when you yourself are in a place where everything you thought you knew about the world, you're no longer sure is the case. Mm. You know, if you, for instance, if you have always thought God dwells on the hill in Jerusalem and the closer that I am to that hill, the more steadfastly his mercy and caring presence is accessible to me. Mm. If you have suddenly been forced through circumstances outside of your control to wonder if everything you thought you knew is not actually the case. Mm. And then within that that really painful place of having to reconsider long-held mm-hmm. perceptions of how life works, then to be asked, to, I mean, to be put on the spot, right? And, mm-hmm. and have not choice in the matter, but to be put on the spot. Incredibly painful. Yeah. Because it's, in, it's vulnerable, I think, already to be in a place where you're having to reconsider mm-hmm. long-held assumptions. Yeah, I mean, there's, I know it's not the psalm in the lesson, but the, I look up to the hills that you're mentioning and where does my help come from? There's all, also, I don't know if you remember that, alternative readings of that text where it's not about the temple or where God is, but it's actually the shrines to the gods. So he's looking up to the hills and seeing these places of worship where it's so easy and so concrete what the relationship to God is to the gods and what's expected. You know, that performance, the external, no relationship. And then the psalmist just asks, where does my help come from? Because yeah. I... I don't want the, 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 you know, organized, packaged, external movements of religion. I want to know where reality is. I mean, what, this is not it. So where is it? So that feeling of vulnerability that you're talking about and to be pushed into settling with the things that we see, it, it, it's, it's a complicated thing, too. And I think there's also space in the Psalms for that kind of feeling that you're expressing there. Yeah. And it it's... It's impossible for me to talk about this concept without drawing also on the prophetic literature, because in the prophetic literature, you really get explicit examples of how this plays out in people's interaction. You know, for instance, the in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about there are groups of people who are still in Jerusalem when many people had been um, resettled elsewhere, somewhere in Mesopotamia or other places. And they were saying, well, because we're still physically closer to Jerusalem, we are clearly closer to God than you all. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the message coming back via imagery. So, you know, the, the idea that, that God rises up in the vision of Ezekiel and like goes east mm. toward Mesopotamia. Um, and you have it coming through in other ways also that, uh, for instance, maybe many of us grew up with stories from the book of Daniel, you know, and the idea that access to the presence of God could be attained through facing a certain way, which which goes on into modern day religious practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people are wrestling with this, and it's so easy to latch on to one or the other of that, right? To To read the descriptions in the prophets of, well, all of this came upon you because you were unfaithful to God, and to not catch you know, the other alternative voice mm-hmm. to say, no, you are a victim of chaos and God is present with you where you are mm-hmm. also. And so I, I find it really meaningful to, to be aware of that larger conversation when we are reading a specific psalm or, or perspective. What do you think makes Psalm 137? I mean, people, people call it troubling. I would call it extremely poignant. Um, what do you think creates such a reaction within us when we read this poem? 
singing the Lord's song in a strange land. It's uh, it doesn't feel right to sing a song um, about the God of Zion mm-hmm. in a land that is not where where people are displaced. Um, you pray different prayers in a different place. Mm-hmm. Hmm. When you are in another place in the world, the place has a, the location um, has a lot of influence on how you approach God, mm. how you think about God, um, because the experience of the place and the surroundings where you live uh, tell you how uh, and and make you feel how God is, and to to do that in a land where you are not by your own will but you are taken in there and displaced from the homeland, if you will. And then to think of God and and praise God just doesn't feel appropriate, just doesn't feel what you should actually do. And so the song in Psalm 137 is something that is extremely, deeply emotional to me. Mm-hmm. There's a Brazilian, that makes me think, Matilda, there's a... Um a, poet, a Brazilian poet called Ferreira Goulart, and um, and he was, you know, a, a poet who who frequently said that poetry and art, because you're talking about the location, right? The importance of locality, of 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 allowing the circumstances and the and the feelings and the pain to shape how we pray and how we experience things. But Ferreira Goulart would would always say that 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 poetry is a way to transcend life, meaning. Life is not enough. That's why we need poetry. Um, in the sense that life has its demarcations, has its limitations. We can't do everything. We can't stand up and fly. We can, but with poetry, we can explore the the transcendental aspect. That yes, I am here. Yes, I'm feeling these things, but I will not allow this to have the final word. Thus, poetry to transcend, to go beyond. So that's how I, I see Psalm one thirty seven. Is this? Yes, we are here. Yes, this is what we're experiencing. And yet, we're going to sink. We're going to transcend. We're going to experience something that is not just this, the material, the experience itself. Um, in Nashville, I met a singer-songwriter who's a good friend called Andy Gullhorn. He has a song called Grand Canyon. And there he has like a beautiful line. There are many things, from what I remember, like weighing on my mind. But there's a bird singing outside in the dead of night. As if the bird knows there's a season when the sun is going to set and that the story is not over yet. So it's just a beautiful way to say what art and poetry and singing does within these con- contexts of pain, that there, that maybe in it all there's, there's this sense that the story is not over, that there's more. And yes to the experience, but this cannot be the end. I, I, uh, I deeply resonate with that because the place uh, and where you, where you exist influences everything that is spiritual about you. So moving from across the world several times has changed that for me. Um, In the case of this psalm, to start with the word, there we sat down and we wept. Mm -hmm. That is how the psalm starts. So it is not necessarily, I would, I would see the weeping here in bo- on, on both sides. Like, nevertheless, we are here and nevertheless we sing because they have their harps with them. Mm-hmm. 
but they hang them on the willow trees. Mm -hmm. And the willow tree, the symbol of sorrow, mm -hmm. uh, right? And, and, and the weeping is part of it. So the song is a song of the deepest emotions of the heart. Yeah. Uh, it is not, oh, we are like, we still have strength and we go on. No, this psalm expresses the, the most like deep pain. Yeah, the letting go. The, yes. And so, um, again, Brueggemann talks about these psalms as grief work. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Matilda and Tiago. Thank you also to Ben Busby and Rick Basket, our program engineers, and to you, our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. For The Good Word, I'm Jody Washburn. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.